Hello, this is Hit Pause, a podcast made in San Francisco with more questions than answers. Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of Hit Pause. It is another one of our encounters, weekly meetings now, and today we'll be thinking about and talking about how deeply the concept of virality is essential for us to understand and think about what is going on in today's political world, economic world, and the speed at which things are changing and why this new medium that developed over the past decades, maybe 15 years, as we saw in the last episode, why the changes are accelerating. In our first encounters, we talked about the changes and the technology evolutions occurring over a spectrum of thousands of years. Then we accelerated with TV and radio. Now we're accelerating even further by an order of magnitude. And as every day I look at the sharing of personal stories, the quarantine videos from everybody on TikTok, on Snap, on Instagram, people sharing, creating content all the time. Um, And when I look at what we discovered and discussed about in the last episode, about what constitutes and what supports a social media and a media communication theory, its five core elements, I keep wondering about that speed, that ever faster acceleration of the messaging of bad messages, of false information. Someone would say fake news. Last time we talked about the five components of medium and communication. The emitter, the receptor, the medium, the format, and the message. Today I want to talk about and think about with you about the exponential speed of today's communication, medium, messages, and formats in which we live. It feels daunting to be bombarded daily by messages, information. How many of my friends have told me it's too much now? They can no longer take the negative news that are coming in, the information sources. We humans, we have a certain bandwidth, a limited bandwidth at which we can take in messages and we filter them. Um, And so for today, I want to use a metaphor and I'm going to bring us back to the fantastic TV series from HBO called Chernobyl. In that series, uh, we 
witness and look at the history of the nuclear disaster in Russia. And we get to learn about the mix of technology and human evolution and failures. And it is that combination that we're going to use as a metaphor for what I see happening in today's media and political sphere, economic sphere. For a second, let's go into Chernobyl. And in particular, the fifth episode of that TV series, which is a, an amazing piece of television. Um, even if you don't have the heart to watch the entirety of the season, some of the images are um, brutally cruel in their cold scientific description of the aftermath, the death and the heroes that tried to save as many lives as they could. In that fifth episode, um, there is a great moment of television. And in that episode, the nuclear scientist Valery Legasov, played by Jared Harris, who's doing a stellar job in that TV series, explains to us in very simple terms what's happening in a nuclear reactor. And he does so by using a very simple set of plastic cards. Some of them are red, some of them are blue, um, and a little board on which he places them as he develops his story. And he starts his explanation very simply and beautifully. He says in a nuclear reactor, there are two things that happen. There are things that make the nuclear chain reaction go up, and there are things that make the nuclear reaction go down. And the job of the control room operators, he says, is to maintain the balance between the two. And a well-functioning controlled um, reactor is basically a controlled nuclear bomb. I, I remember hearing one day a pilot, a plane pilot, say that a landing is frankly a controlled crash. And that was an interesting concept, a metaphor that stayed with me all along. Um, we live as humans into life systems where balance between opposite forces uh, is enabling us to live. The balance between the absolute cold of space and the heat brought to us by the sun in the controlled environment of the atmosphere. Change the chemical composition of the atmosphere and we're bringing unbalance in that ecosystem. So our nuclear reactor has basically uranium as its source of the radioactivity and the nuclear reaction. And its role is to increase a nuclear fission where the uranium atoms are going to 
collide with one another on an exponential basis and increase the temperature and the power exponentially. That's our first red um, plate, if you will. So to control it, the scientists, the nuclear scientists, have introduced boron, basically, as the counterbalancing plate, um, the blue plate, to try to bring down that reaction and to slow down the reaction. Another element that is used in a nuclear reaction, a nuclear reactor in particular, to carry and transform that energy, that atomic energy released, is water. And the heat of the nuclear fission is transformed into steam to power pumps that turn, turbines that themselves, as they turn, are going to create electricity. So we have here two transformation of energy. The first one from the fissile energy to uh, the transformation of water into steam and then steam uh, activating pumps that will transform magnetic field into electricity. So water has a tendency to create uh, steam, obviously. But the eruption of steam in a nuclear reactor, explains Valery Legasov, creates basically a physical void which basically transforms a physical object, water, into a void. And the issue is that this void, which is now filled by steam, has a direct impact on the fissile reaction, and that is called the positive void coefficient. And that steam and that positive void coefficient, in turn, reaccelerates the nuclear reaction as a blowback or loopback effect, if you will, because suddenly the uh, atoms of uranium can traverse that void and go hit others. So you need to keep a constant balance between the uranium um, nuclear reaction, the boron atoms, which are inserted in boron rods, the famous nuclear rods that sometimes we hear about, um, and uh, the control of the feedback loop between the elements that have a tendency to accelerate the reaction and the elements that have a tendency to um, bring it down is the art of and the science of uh, managing a nuclear power plant. It so happens that a byproduct of the uh, nuclear reaction is xenon. And xenon has a tendency to actually cool down the reactor. So 
Valerie Legasov uses a blue plate for that and explains that the more xenon is produced, the more you can actually choke a reactor. And the television episode brilliantly explains how suddenly the Chernobyl reactor went from a stable, well-balanced mode to a nuclear explosion. And what is striking in that explanation is that the human factor, of course, came to misjudge, miscalculate the decisions for mostly uh, political and egotistical and control emotional dynamics between the director of the control room and its operators and brought the nuclear reactor into um, a chain of events that was precipitated because the sense of time was compressed. The director of the nuclear power plant needed to perform a nuclear test and the operators of the control room, in particular the director of the control room, decided that speed was more important than safety. And when I say that, I recognize and realize the parallel with the current situation in which we are in our new world today, facing the reopening of the economy and the balancing act of the economy recovery, the economic engine, and the safety of people. So under pressure to run the test, the director facing a nuclear reactor that, that was losing power, basically choking into too much xenon that had been produced too fast, the director decided to restart the reactor too fast. The official procedure to restart a nuclear reactor is to restart and lift the boron rods slowly over a period of 24 hours. This is how you keep the balance between the elements that are going to feed the nuclear reaction and those that are going to stop it. And time is the key variable. Well, not so at Chernobyl. Uh, they uh, basically uh, decided to restart the reaction too fast and lifted pretty much 206 of the 211 boron rods at the same time. And what happened then is that as the nuclear reactor suddenly started restarting, the speed at which water cooling and the absence of boron cooling was gone, an imbalance got created. And as Valerie Legasov, again played by Jared Harris, explains, the reactor had been rewound like a slingshot 
and uh, with a depressed um, balance between the two forces that keep it at bay, a little bit like today's economy going into a deep, deep, deep depression. The return to normalcy, the return to a balanced calibration of the forces pushing the reactor forward and pushing the reactor downward was then impossible. There is in a Russian reactor, there is in every nuclear reactor apparently, so explains Valery Legasov, a button that can be pressed by the operators to uh, stop a reactor. That button was pressed um, by the operators of the Chernobyl reactor to suddenly put in check the sudden rise in uh, power generation that they observed at 1.22 a.m. on that fateful day during the night. The reactor went indeed from pretty much 30 megawatts produced to 700, 1,000, 2,000 within a few seconds. And you see it happen on the uh, TV show. It's a fascinating moment and terrifying moment. They panicked. They brought down uh, the uh, control rods down, the boron rods, not knowing that actually those uh, boron rods were covered uh, at the tip by graphite. And... Uh, that design flow was a, um, a last straw that basically created and spelled disaster. Indeed, the graphite, as it entered the super hot uranium core, ended up exploding, breaking down the ability of the control rods of boron to descend into the nuclear core to stop it. And with uh, boron rods stuck uh, in the up position, the nuclear uh, reaction went unchecked uh, and the uh, nuclear explosion went uncontrolled. The top of the boron rods metal uh, segments blew up, oxygen entered into the nuclear reactor, and the rest is history. So we have here an amazing metaphor for social media systems, for our world of creators of messages that create messages continuously. We are effectively the recipients of messages that come at us on an exponential basis with um, little control 
as to what slows that down. In a few minutes, right after our break, we'll explore what that means for social media. And now let's go to a short break to hit pause, reflect, or just continue. And welcome back to our second part of our episode on the metaphor of Chernobyl as it applies to our new world of communication and social media. Um, One of the things that intrigues me is what are the avenues of action at a society level, at the technology level, uh, maybe at the individual level, that can uh, control and keep in check the relationship between the millions of emitters and the millions of receptors of messages in our highly connected social media exponential world. If we think about the creation of media messages, now ranging a continuum that goes from your favorite band to your favorite actor to your favorite newscaster to your friends, to yourself. We're now faced uh, with a media system that has all the markings of a nuclear reactor. And when you look at the speed at which um, the systems that were initially designed to do good, we all remember the moniker, the tagline from Google executives, we do no evil. Um, Maybe they don't. And I believe that they probably meant what they meant when they said it. But they created, they and all the Silicon Valley companies, created medium companies that transformed profoundly communication messaging and that made everybody an emitter of content. And like we said, and like we saw in the last episode, the quality of that medium is only commensurate to the quality of the emitter, the quality of the receptor, the format and the message. And so today we're faced with a constant exposure to information and we no longer have time to check the sources. We no longer have time to understand what is the bias of the emitter of that information source. Uh, Did you know that there is a website that tracks the political and media bias? of all the different news sources. They even have a beautiful uh, 
diagram. I'll put the link on my website at utesa.com slash podcast. It takes time, it takes work and research to pay attention to what we receive and to filter it. And so what are the boron rods of social media? The way I think about it, I think that there's probably three classes of actions that can be taken as a society to keep this new medium in check. The first one is probably self-guided and self-imposed with companies putting in place their own processes, evolving their technology to um, keep in balance what is going on in the platform. The second one is legislation and a regulatory environment in which the regulator, i.e. the political power, would impose some level of constraints on those companies to counterbalance or balance or force them to pay attention uh, in case the first option, the self-regulation, is not sufficient. And the third one is ourselves, our own ability to filter the messages that we are bombarded with and to self-regulate what we do with them. So let's explore those a little bit. The first one um, is a perennial problem in how we think about platform companies or publishers. I'm reminded of what I observed a long time ago when America Online became um, what it was. It was initially a built-in board company in the 1990s And um, they faced the same question that Facebook and Twitter are facing these days. Were they a publisher or a platform company? Those are the current terms. But at the time, the early um, encounter with those issues came in a case called Ziran versus AOL where one of the AOL users got um, targeted by misinformation posted on the built-in boards maliciously. And the legal argument and legal fight at the time was, is AOL responsible for the content of the messages that are finding themselves on its built-in boards? And can it be held liable for uh, misinformation um, uh, through those posted messages. Um, So the question is not new when we look at um, the legal liability of today's platform companies. The speed at which uh, social media is now expanded the complexities of the uh, regulations and changes in, by country 
But at the heart of it, you start seeing, uh, because of the scale, the large players, Facebook, Twitter, Google, and others, apply artificial intelligence and technologies as well as human curation to police the um, content that is found on their platforms. Since the early days of AOL, the body of law caught up and established guidelines for libel, for uh, sexually offensive content, for hate speech, and that ended up spurring, of course, those anecdotes and use cases where the beautiful picture of Manet uh, with the uh, lunch on the grass uh, being censored because there is, in fact, a, a woman's breast on that painting. Uh, and so the algorithms are tautologic in the sense that they are uh, going to be repeating the original design meant by the engineering coder, and society injects over time a sense of clarification and refinement of the rules. So what of uh, the moral problem of broadcasters when they need to cover a certain press conference where misinformation is being spewed into the public um, just because the emitter happens to have a title that gives that emitter a bully pulpit to be heard by everybody. And there we face the conundrum of a free speech society. The second way that uh, the regulator is going to have to look at um, those new models is really derived from that issue. Uh, today, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, has explained in some of his blog posts that the future of Facebook is that of private communication between users. Uh, but when you look at the necessity of the viral coefficient of a platform like this, of social media, one can normally ask whether the economic objective of a social media company is to be in balance between the two forces that push virality up, like in the nuclear reactor, and forces that push virality down. In other terms, should we now put boron rods, should we put artificial intelligence and algorithms to slow down the spread of fake news, to spread down the spread of misinformation? How do you establish that a piece of post on social media is propaganda, is misinformation? Do we 
face today as a free society, as democracy, the arduous task of policing speech to keep the communication in balance between damaging messaging and positive messaging. The third avenue is probably ours and our own control of our own intake of messaging. Are we easily influenceable? Are we manipulable? What mental process do we bring in to the table when we are exposed to social media posting and reposting? What do we teach our kids about social media and the influences that they will be exposed to at a very young age through all those applications that they so adore? The problem is complex, it's societal, and it involves a mixture of technology and human intervention. It is also a problem which I do not believe can be solved fast. And unfortunately, we find ourselves in the same moment than the Chernobyl disaster. Are we having artificial constraints on the business models of social media company? Are we imposing or asking for continued revenue growth of media companies, of media conglomerates, of social media conglomerates that are now at risk of creating a slingshot boomerang effect onto the economy, onto the strength of democracy? Should we give ourselves the time to pause, the time to slow down virality by regulation or self-imposed governance so that the Silicon Valley becomes part of the solution as we as society struggle with a possibly catastrophic slingshot effect of those new media platforms. That is the question for this sixth episode and the one that I ponder a lot these days, exposed to TV, social media messages, I hope that we will find the right balance in the years ahead and that we all can be part of building that balance. Thank you. This podcast is a simple way of sharing my thoughts. It is a personal endeavor, nothing more a way to connect. The views and opinions represented in this podcast are solely mine. They are in no way, nor should they be assumed to be shared, supported, endorsed by my employer, the sponsors of this show, Anchor.fm, where it is hosted, and all the distributors thereof. You may find more information, links, pictures, videos, documents, and more 
which may have been referenced in this podcast on my website at www.uteza.com slash podcast. There, it feels so much better after saying all of this. And so, it's time to part ways, at least for now. Until next time, time to say goodnight, time to hit pause.